Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. And things have changed a little bit around here. You might have noticed a new title of the podcast, The Worth Podcast now. So welcome to this. I love those episodes I got to do with Jeremy. But going forward, I'm going to be bringing some friends in and talking about all sorts of things to do with worship and theology. So welcome to the very first episode of The Worth Podcast. I'm very excited today to have a guest, David Taylor. Or if you've seen any of his academic stuff, it will be W. David O. Taylor, which I've just about learned to get all those things in the right order now. That's a lot of names and initials. So you sound very important, David. That's Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I, I am important, man. At least <laughs> my parents, I am. <laughs> Do you think if I put a couple of initials by my name, I could sound like cleverer? And I think it's an 18% uptick in sales. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to seriously think about that. Uh, that's definitely yeah. something to think about. But I'm so glad you can join today, and I'm looking forward to talking a bit about you and who you are and what you do, and then also talking about this Worth event, this mm-hmm. very first Worship and Theology Worth event. We took the WOR from Worship, the TH from Theology, put them together, and we're going to be doing these events, the very first one, October 25th, in Museum of the Bible, Washington, D.C. It's going to be a whole day, and the guests will include Pat Barrett, Jason Ingram, and this good man here, David Taylor. So we're going to have a whole day talking about some of the things we'll talk about today, but I thought I'd bring David on, introduce you to him. A lot of you would already know him through several books he's written or through maybe been taught by him somewhere or other. And also a lot of people would have seen your videos with the late now Eugene Peterson and, and Bono, which we won't major on that right now. But I tell you, if there was a room I ever wanted to be in, I mean, you know, that they're kind of like, who would you want as guests at your dinner party? They'd be two of the people. And you must have felt that was a lovely blessing from God just to be sitting listening to those two talk about the Psalms. It was. It was actually rather difficult to carry on the interview uh, because I kept thinking, that's friggin' Bono sitting to my left. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. He's king of the soundbite, isn't he? He's like, some of the little sentences he comes up with, I'm like, man, you. I mean, you've got something special going on. Yeah, he was... He was very kind. He was very gentle. He was unassuming. Love that. Uh, he did not fill the room. He made space for everybody in the room. He was, it was very wow. impressive. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I've listened to his audio book just before Christmas or sometime around then and um, Surrender, I think it's called, right? And mm-hmm. I just thought this guy's got the best stories of anyone I've ever heard. I mean, if Gorbachev shows up at your front door with a huge teddy bear and you forgot to tell your wife he might come, that is already going to be an amazing story. And that one actually becomes very poignant. But Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, of all the things, you know, that I admire about him and, and I read the book and, you know, was amazed at, at his life. But, you know, the most amazing is he's been married to this one woman for, you know, 40 some years. Yeah, that's actually fantastic. And he's got four kids. And, and that the band are still together as well. I mean, even that's a pretty, pr- pretty great achievement, right? It is. Yeah. So hats off to the man. I love that. So you were born in Guatemala City, right? I was. Yeah. You were, and you grew up, how, you grew up there for how long? Yeah, I lived there till I was 13. And, yeah. uh, yeah, my father was a, a professor at a seminary and part of a church plant. 
Yeah. And then they put my sisters and myself in an Austrian school. So we spoke English at home, Spanish with friends, and German at school. So it was a very <laughs> multicultural, multilingual, you know, childhood. That's some great brain training. <laughs> that might explain your love of soccer too, because or football, as I would well, say. But the you, you're in a you're in a couple of places there that are totally into it. Yeah, I mean, we play, played soccer, you know, but before school, during every recess, after school, you know, at night, it it was the great, beautiful sport. Uh, fantastic, <laughs> yeah. we love that. And um, I've been telling myself must not just get on the podcast and talk about soccer with David because. We could just be talking for a while. We, even before we jumped on here, we were talking about the latest scores from today and Europa League today. You know, it's everywhere right now. We talked about Messi, but we're <laughs> that's not what we're going to do today. We're going to be very disciplined. And so, for those of you who haven't come across David before, he's a theologian, author, a speaker, a priest, and a director of initiatives in art and faith. Professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, and. One thing I love about you, David, is all the books you've put out. You do seem to have a great output because whenever I've put out a little book as a little humble worship leader guy, it's got about 85 pages in large print. And usually we have a very hard cover, so it looks thicker than it actually is. And I realized reading your books, I think that one of my books wouldn't even be a whole chapter in one of your books. (laughs) You you, You definitely dive deeper. And I love that. And I love your open and unafraid, the Psalms as guide to life, that which has a foreword by um, Eugene Peterson, which is very special. And one thing I did notice on that book, it's got twenty-one endorsements. I know. Look, and so I'm like, I like. There's a couple of things about that. What, firstly, why didn't I think of that? My book could have been twice as long if I'd had twenty-one endorsements. And secondly, like you've either got a lot of friends or people who owe you money. I don't know what was the deal here. Look, you know. Publishers do things differently. Thomas Nelson, they're a big publisher. They're owned by HarperCollins. They do things big. You know, they, they publish yeah. Bob Goff and, yeah. and uh, Tim Tebow. And uh, that's the way they roll. And so, uh, yeah, special. it's a little bit embarrassing. But I, I, would <laughs> I mean, I, I tried to read the book, but, you know, I just I got halfway <laughs> through the endorsements. <laughs> Time to go to bed now. No, it's a, it's a great, great book, guys. Open and Unafraid. If you get a chance to read that, I love in that how you really go into the Psalms giving us permission to bring an honest confession. Mm-hmm. And that's such an important part of worship. And I love yeah. that you highlighted that in the book there. Glimpses of the new creation about the worship and the power of the arts. And then more recently, your book, Body of Praise, Understanding the Role of Our Physical Bodies in Worship. That is a great idea for a book. Mm. First time I saw it, even before I read it, I thought, oh, I've never even thought about this, let alone read about it. This is this is fantastic. Well, you tend yeah. to see worship as some spiritual, you know, that, that, and I love how you've really got to grips with bringing our bodies into the conversation. Yeah. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, for those of us who grew up in, you know, Protestant traditions, which is probably many people uh, that we know and love and folks listening here, I mean... Many of us probably grew up with some sense that the body's main job was to get out of the way so that the heart and mind or the soul could get on with the allegedly more serious business of worship. But if there was ever any doubt that our bodies matter, 
Well, all you have to look at the at the incarnation. God, yeah. the second person Trinity, takes on flesh and keeps that flesh, yeah. except in you know glorified, Holy Spirit fashioned manner, and so forever in perpetuity to the end of time, bodies matter. So I think my question with this book is, why did God give us bodies? What are they for? What are their powers? Their superpowers? Their simple fundamental powers? And how can our bodies not simply participate in the, the full worship of God, but in what ways can they lead us? In what ways can they form Christ-likeness in us in a unique way? And so I have wow. chapters on artistic perspectives on the body and worship, scientific perspectives, uh, biblical, theological, historical. I just, I'm, I've been fascinated with the topic for over you know, 25 years, and I finally plucked up the courage to write a book on it. So, so yeah. good. Oh, I love that. I'm diving into it right now, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And it's very, very fresh thinking for me. That's not something I've read before. So, I'm really, <laughs> really, oh, really loving that. Yeah. Anyway, I'm so glad that beyond writing these books, that you're going to be with us at this of Worth event in yeah. uh, the end of October at Museum mm. of the Bible. I had some contact with you way, way back. We were at a event together with David Crowder, which wasn't it called something like the Fantastical Worship Conference? It had some yeah, it like crazy church music conference. It? Yeah. Yeah. it should have been titled the Strange Bedfellows Church Music Conference. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people from a lot of different streams. Yeah, that was fantastic. So it's great to meet you back then. And then, you know, we've had a bit of contact over the years through email and stuff. And But I really love that we're going to get to be in person and to get to teach together and I wanted to bring you in because you're a deep well and you're a, I was going to say heavy thinker, but that sounds like heavy drinker. So I wasn't going to say that, but, but you're a deep well with a lot to say. In moderation. And, uh, in moderation. And, you know, I really feel like we need people like you in the mix. Mm. It's, I feel like myself, Pat and Jason, we've definitely got something to say. We've got something to bring. But I'm recognizing more and more that as a worship leader, as a songwriter of worship songs, someone choosing songs forming worship services, writing songs. I need help. I can't do this on my own. And we'll talk about that later. I heard you in an interview, or maybe read it, you were quoting Gordon Fee, and he said, let me mm. hear you pray, let me hear you sing, and I will write your theology. Yeah. And talking about our songs showing us what we really believe about God. Mm. And mm. I guess that's why it's such a big responsibility in these days. Yeah. These people who are up the front choosing songs, leading songs, or writing songs, it's a weighty calling. It's a sacred thing, right? It is. Yeah. I teach theology uh, to my students at Fuller Theological Seminary. And one of the things I tell them the first week of class is that the vast majority of Christians throughout all of church history and across the entire globe do not get their theology, their ideas about God from books. Yeah. They get their ideas about God from three things mainly from the songs that they sing, the sermons that they hear, and the prayers that are prayed. But mainly they get their ideas about God from the songs that they sing. Yeah. And that's a terrifying, but also a holy, <laughs> awful, awesome calling and responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that's exciting to me about this event that you're planning is that it's tapping into a very rich tradition of, of pastors, theologians, and musicians working together. 
And I think that's one of the, maybe the the tragedies of, of of our modern times is that you have songwriters over here, pastors over there, theologians even further away. God has not designed the body of Christ to to be that way. So yeah. to bring them together is not simply a gift, which it is, but it's it's our inheritance. It, it's yes. it is a, a tradition that God gives to us as a gift to live into of, of working together in this way. Yeah, it's crucial. I'm actually going to quote you something I read where you said, scholars can help songwriters discover the intertextual and canonical. How do you say that word? Canonical. Yeah, canonical. Like See, I, I came here for a lesson today. I'm getting a reading lesson. I'm learning some theology. Canonical. There we go. I got yeah. it. I got it now. See, look. You're doing um, great. Scholars can help songwriters discover the intertextual and canonical patterns in Scripture. These discoveries help songwriters perceive Scripture as three-dimensional, multiliterary text rather than a one-dimensional, flat, homogenous text. Mm. Seeing these things might offer songwriters an opportunity to experience the biblical text in a fresh way. Mm. Uh, I love that, that thing of like, hey, I can help you go deeper into this thing if you want. You know, I can help you journey a little further than you would have got on your own. And I know I need that for sure. Right. Right. I mean, all of us, uh, in, a, in a sense, through no fault of our own, are shaped by our, our family of origins, our, 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 the churches of our childhood, you know, the churches that we're part of today, that the sub, you know, culture, sub, you know, the Christian subcultures that we're a part of. And, and that's fine. That's God has made us to be many membered. But one of the, maybe the dangers of staying in one subcultural community, one tradition, one denomination, is that maybe we don't hear the richness and the depth of the faith, of the gospel. Maybe we don't see certain parts of scripture, or maybe we don't see them as as significant or important. And so, you know, to be in, in a room full of Pentecostal, charismatic believers, Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist, Anglican, is and etc is to be in a room full of you know men and women who will enable us to see scripture with fresh eyes to see the prophets the psalms you know parts of even the gospel stories that we just hurry over and we think well yeah. that stuff is there just to get to the really exciting part like the cross well the cross obviously is central to the faith there's no doubt about that <laughs> But there is so much more about yeah. Jesus's life and ministry that yeah. we don't ever sing about. We don't tend to, do we? We skip over oh. those 30 <laughs> plus years there. And I heard an interesting thing. A guy called John Bell was talking about, hey, we don't really sing about Jesus walking the earth and his life too much. Mm-hmm. And he says, and when we do give pictures of Jesus, some of them are quite passive. They're like, oh, he's a baby lying in a manger. Right. And now he's hanging on a cross and you know he's like i want to sing about jesus overturning the tables in the temple and i want to hear jesus caring about justice and matters yeah. like that and it's it's really important and we're going to look a bit more at that at the time these kind of missing mm-hmm. gaps but something i saw you say you said the responsibility for holy and holistically nourishing songs should rest jointly on pastors teachers musicians and theologians if not also at some level, the whole congregation, nobody should carry this responsibility alone. And I thought that was an interesting thought also that actually, in some ways, the responsibility lies on all of these different leaders. But there is a point where it's on the congregation too. What are they willing to accept? You know, if they see something in a song that they think's not truthful, 
are they going to sing it still? Or are they feeling not nourished by these songs? Are they ever going to stand up and say, we can do better than this? So I thought that was an interesting comment. That, And I don't know if that's exactly what you were saying. I'd love to hear what you were thinking when you said some of that responsibility is lies with the people too. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if this sounds like an obvious thing to say. Maybe it's not obvious. Maybe our, our usual experience of the Christian life sort of says otherwise, but the New Testament repeatedly tells us that the the well-being, the flourishing, the life, the vitality of the body of Christ obviously rests ultimately with the Holy Trinity. And, and immediately it is the Holy Spirit's work that enables us to, you know, be full of the life of God, but beyond yeah. the work of God to initiate and sustain and bring to completion the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God for the for the body of Christ. It, it is clear and repeatedly, you know, articulated throughout the epistles that all have been given gifts, all have been given graces, all have been given, you know, charisms to use that, you know, term from the Greek in order for the building of the body. So it doesn't rest on the pastor alone, which you yeah. see often enough, or on the theologian alone, or on the songwriter, or the elder, or the Sunday school teacher, or, you know, it, it's all of us. So what would it look like for us to adopt better practices of friendship, better practices of community? And at some just very fundamental level, it's just getting people at, a physical common table. You know, so many of us are just separated out and it's, we, we find ourselves in specialized relational bonds or, or, you know, kinship relationship. I'm with my people and you're with your people, yeah. but what would it look like to get all of, all of these members of Christ's body in one physical room or at one table together? I think something extraordinary happens and the Holy Spirit wants to do extraordinary things through such kinds of gatherings. Yeah, I love that. You're going to bring some wonderful conversation and stir up some great pursuits of worship and theology at this event, I know. And and I can, even just talking to you today, I'm excited about it because I just can't wait to pepper you with questions. You know, you better come ready because I'm going to, you know, I'm going to ask you everything I don't know that I've always wanted to know. And I'm expecting answers. Dear Lord. uh, One thing I love is you do tend to talk about Trinitarian theology a lot. You talk mm. a lot about the Trinity, mm. and it mm-hmm. seems like whatever you're teaching on, a, a Trinitarian perspective on that comes through. Yeah. So I've noticed in several of your books, they're on completely different subjects sometimes, but there's definitely a thing of now we're going to make sure we look at this mm-hmm. with, a, with a Trinitarian mindset and find out how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are involved in that. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt like that's an interesting one because... That's one thing where someone from the academic world, Professor Lester Ruth, years ago did that study on CCLI. I think he took something like the top 77 songs from 25 years or something like that. And he, and this whole study was around like, how often does the Trinity get a mention? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And is there even a, a song which might mention that as one reason why God's completely worthy? And And, and it came back at the time like, well, we're not doing very well in this area, really. If we look at all the the most sung songs, they hardly even touch on that. Jesus gets most of right. stuff. The Father might show up in a song or two, very unlikely, the Holy Spirit. And, and I think there was like one or two songs that had all three 
member of the, of the Trinity. But what was great was like a, someone from the academic world who did mm. some research and cared okay. about this and did a bit more research and then kind of called it out. And so yeah. I'm just a worship leader in a local church. And I'm reading this thinking, oh, man, yeah, we've not done very well here. And it's not something I've thought about enough. And it was really great to have someone from that world, you know, waking us up and saying, come on, we can do better. And then I read a book, a guy called Robin Parry, I think, and he was talking yeah. about how the Trinitarian theology can be it's almost like the the grammar in a sentence. It's it's not always hugely in your face, but it's always mm-hmm. there in the background. It's shaping mm-hmm. everything. And mm-hmm. I liked that way you were teaching. It felt similar to that, like it's the grammar in a sentence. It's shaping so much here. Even when we're not talking about verse one, the father, verse two, the son, verse two, it's in the mix. It's it's shaping things. And, and I, I value said on that before, and I'm definitely going to ask you about <laughs> that at the, uh, at the event. But we are going to have a session on Mind the Gaps. Mm-hmm. And I would say Trinitarian theology could be one. Maybe the return of Christ is quite a major one. Any other things that come to mind, even in this conversation now, things that, wow, we, we really got to step up in this area as the worship yeah. in our church. I mean, I, I think there are a few, you know, subject matter that, that we could stand to grow uh, uh, for songwriters, you know, to, to write songs so that we can sing ourselves into the true knowledge of God and the true love of God. Most of my insights on on this question depend upon the work of people like Lester Ruth, who's fabulous, or Adam Paris, who teaches at Belmont, or Glenn Packiam, your friend, yeah, now in Southern California. Just marvelous work. But some of the things that they draw my attention to are things like intercession. Uh, what does it mean for us to sing songs where we're giving voice to the intercessory work of Jesus, the intercessory work of the Spirit, the intercessory yeah. work of the body of Christ. There's very little uh, of the communal de- dimension of our life as Christ's body that comes into play. Obviously, very little Holy Spirit, not much about creation, the Lord's Supper, baptism. I mean, those are the two ordinances, as Protestants yeah. call it. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful? I know you've written some, and and I have them humming around in my head. But wouldn't it be amazing if, if, if more? And I think of like Jesus, Jesus' cross, Jesus' resurrection. Yes, we have a good bit of those. Maybe Jesus as a, a, a his miraculous power. But what about Jesus as comforter, or as priest, or prophet, or? as elder brother. Yeah, interesting. All these names. Um yeah. they're they're central to his uh, you know life and work. You know one of the things that Lester Ruth uh discovered in in that study that he did yeah and he looked at the top 25 CCLS songs from 1989 to 2015. There are only 112 songs uh, that span that you know 26 year, you know, yeah. time period. Not a single one of those songs was in the minor key. No yet, way. How much of the Psalms is minor key? How much even yeah. of the Gospels of Jesus's ministry could be yeah. called a minor key moment? How much right? of life is in minor key? <laughs> <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Especially if, uh, you know, you're on one of those... Oh, I won't bring soccer up again now. I was going to talk about the team that lost 4-0 to Arsenal yesterday or Man United losing to Bayern Munich. Yeah. I mean, talk about minor key. Sorry, all you Man United fans. I know you're everywhere. You, you can't resist it. 
<laughs> I mean, okay, speaking of football, let's just call it by its real name. Oh, yeah, and let's sorry. Yeah. About, let's not pick on, but let's speak of Man United. I'll tell you what, Man United soccer fans, they have songs in the minor key that they sing in the pub, but Love they it. have no songs to sing in the church, right? Like some of Man United fans love Jesus. They go to church. Are you sure? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) In the church to seeing like the minor key moments in their spiritual lives. I mean, wouldn't it be such a gift to say it's not just the football soccer world that offers you or Taylor Swift or Bono or Beyonce, but the body of Christ, the musicians, the songwriters are offering us songs to bring our whole hearts in these moments of grief or loss to be able to say that God meets us in those places. God is not just meeting us in acts of rescue, yeah. but he's also meeting us, well, in the depths. That is fantastic. I love it. Well, we're both going to be in a room in Museum of the Bible, October the 25th, Washington, D.C. I think you should be there too. I know we're going to have a fantastic day. We're going to drink from the fire hose, 9.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Lots of different sessions I'm excited too about the last session, which will be called Song, Stories, and Sacrament. I think it's just going to be a beautiful day. People will get a bit of time to explore Museum of the Bible too. All the details are on worthworship.com. You can find all the details there. You can find ticket links there. And if you put in the code TEAM, in all in caps, TEAM, while you're buying your tickets, you'll get $25 off per person. Maybe try and come with your worship team or bring your pastor Or if you're thinking like, how am I going to get to Washington, D.C., do a GoFundMe, get your church to bring you along. We would would love that. uh, But I'm so looking forward to that day, partly because we're going to talk about worship theology, but also because David can talk a bit more about soccer with me uh, behind the scenes. And uh, (laughs) maybe I can persuade you to follow an MLS team. I mean, you live in Austin, Texas. You've got your own team. You've got Matt McConaughey out there, whatever his name is, banging the drum on the field. And you still can't be bothered to lower your standards and take your eyes off the Premier League or wherever it is. And So I'm, I'm going to work on this. I think there might be some snobbery. I don't know what's going on. but Hey, some things come about only by prayer and fasting, so <laughs> go for it. <laughs> Hey, thank you so much for hanging today. Really, really great. And I honestly do look forward to hanging out more. I'm excited. And please come and join us for that day. All details, worthworship.com. Thank you for joining today on this podcast episode. And I'd love for David to end us with a prayer today. Yeah, so I have a prayer uh, that I've written for artists. So you can imagine yourself as a musician. It's part of a book of prayers that's coming out uh, next spring with InterVarsity. My wife created a whole series of watercolor paintings. So it's really exciting for us to get to do this together. But this is um, actually a collection of prayers for artists. So if you are a musician, I pray this for you and, and, uh, and with you. Oh, Lord, you who are the creator, we praise you for being the source of life, the fount of grace, the architect of creation, and the originator of all good things in heaven and on earth. Grant us fresh ideas, we pray. Fill us with new vigor and bless our labors in Jesus' name so that we might fulfill your created purposes in and through us this day. We pray this by your Spirit and in the name of the infinitely imaginative one. Amen. Amen. Love that. So great to chat today. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. 
hope to see you next time. Worthworship.com. God bless.